Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 22, the trade deadline episode of 2, 5, and 10. Everybody, welcome. Me and Benny are fired up. We've been just waiting all day for this. Uh, Benny, fire him up. Let's go. I'm ready. I think outside of July 1st, UVA uh, signing day, today is the second best non-Stanley Cup playoff day of the hockey calendar. Uh Trade deadline day, obviously, if you're a fan of a team of contention, you've been waiting for this to see what moves they're going to make. If you're a team, a fan of a team like the Rangers, like I am, you've been waiting to see if they can make a surprise big haul for one of their upcoming free agents. So definitely a lot of moving pieces the last few days. I think we're going to recap uh, some of the more notable trades first all, from last week's recording all the way up until today's deadline day. And then just go from there and talk about the Bruins and Rangers moves and some notable trades made around the league. I I am ready. I I've been fired up. I've been waiting for this all day. Like my voice is semi back. I'm excited. You you kind of sound like the uh, woman from the anti smoking commercials that has a device to speak through her throat. I I almost feel like that awful guy. I don't know if he's uh not Francesa. Uh, if you do like CBS radio at night, that guy from Philly, I feel like I sound like him. I forget what his name (laughs) is, but he's just awful. Uh, but yeah, so we'll get it started. Actually, the Bruins made the first notable trade after last week's podcast recording. Uh, just going to run through a bunch of these and then we'll go back and touch on some of them. The Bruins, uh, acquired Charlie Coyle from the Minnesota Wild for Ryan Donato and a conditional fifth round pick. On February 21st, the Washington Capitals traded for playoff performer and long-haired stud Carl Hagelin, former Ranger, uh, from the LA Kings for a 2019 third-round pick and a conditional sixth-round pick in 2020. And then a major blockbuster trade the following day, the Blue Jackets acquired Matthew Shane and minor league defenseman Julius Bergman from Ottawa. In return, they sent two forward prospects, Kelly Abramoff, Jonathan Davidson, a 2019 or 2020 first-round pick, and a conditional first-round pick if Duchesne resigns in Columbus. Uh, the Capitals made, I think, a pretty underrated move for their blue line. They acquired uh, defenseman Nick Jensen and a fifth-round pick from Detroit for kind of struggling defense prospect Madison Bowie and a 2020 second-round pick. Uh, the Stars acquired Ben Lovejoy from the New Jersey Devils for Connor Carrick and a third-round pick in 2019. Uh, the Blue Jackets continued their love affair with Ottawa. They traded for Ryan Dezingle and a seventh-round pick in 2019 for well-traveled 23-year-old Anthony Duclair, a second-round pick in 2020, and a 2021 second-round pick. One of the more sad trades to occur, at least from my point of view, the Dallas Stars traded for Matt Zuccarello from the New York Rangers for a conditional 2019 second-round pick and a conditional 2020 third-round pick. I'll be talking about that in a few minutes. Uh, moving up ahead, an interesting trade for a team not currently slated to make the playoffs, but the Sabres acquired uh, young defenseman Brandon Matour from Anaheim 
for defense prospect Brendan uh, Gould and a 2019 first-round draft pick. Uh, Late-night trade yesterday, the San Jose Sharks acquired Gustav Nyquist from the Detroit Red Wings for a second-round pick in 2019 and a conditional third-round pick in 2020. And then a big big deadline day today. So the Columbus Blue Jackets, they kept Sergei Bobrovsky, and they paired him with Keith Kincaid, uh, the goalie from the New Jersey Devils. They gave up a fifth-round pick in 2022, basically nothing there. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets loaded up. They acquired big center Kevin Hayes from the New York Rangers for Brendan Lemieux, a first-round pick in 2019, and a conditional fourth-round pick in 2022. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes made a death move up front uh, for their playoff push. They kept Michael Furland, and they acquired uh, Thomas Jerko from Florida for future considerations. And the Blue Jackets continued loading up. They traded for Rangers defenseman Adam McQuaid. Uh, Rangers got Julius Bergman, a fourth-round pick in 2019, and a seventh-round pick in 2019. Uh, and the Bruins, right before the deadline, made another strike. They acquired forward Marcus Johansson from New Jersey for a second-round pick in 2019, a fourth-round pick in 2020. Uh, Winnipeg added more depth. Matt Hendricks from Minnesota for a seventh-round pick. Colorado acquired Derek Broussard, who was just recently traded to Florida for a sixth-round pick. And a six-round pick uh, for a third-round pick in 2020. And Pittsburgh moved Tanner Pearson. And interesting, they just traded for him about two months ago. They sent him to uh, Vancouver for defenseman Eric uh, Gabranson. And the last two big trades of the day, I think. Nashville acquired Michael Granlund from Minnesota for Kevin Fiala, as uh, Bob McKenzie likes to say. It was one for one. And lastly, the Vegas Golden Knights won the Mark Stone sweepstakes. They acquired him and forward Tobias Lindbergh from Ottawa for Eric Brandstrom, Oscar Lindbergh, former Ranger, and a 2020 second-round pick. Uh, that was a lot to go on. Go right ahead into it. Oh, yeah, the Wayne Simmons trade. Yeah, I was, I was just about to add that in there. Forgetting about Wayne Simmons. I ne- Always forget about the uh, pain in the ass. Uh, he was sent from Philly to Nashville for Ryan Hartman and a fourth-round pick, which is conditional in 2020. So go right ahead. Uh, well, I guess we'll just start from the bottom, work our way up. That Charlie Coyle for Ryan Donato and that fifth-round pick, I personally like it. I know a lot of people are going off of, we gave up on Donato too soon. I mean, I don't know if we gave up on him too early. I'm just saying he's had a lot of chances to make our lineup, and he just can't crack it. He's been in Providence a lot this year. Um, the kid likes to shoot the puck. I, I like watching him play on that end because he's not scared to shoot, and I think going forward, that's probably going to be a problem we have. Of Maybe we have some guys who are a little too gun-shy where he was not, and I think that's big. But the other thing is this. For the Bruins to already trade him, I'm wondering if management thought he's already hit his ceiling, so we have to get something for him now. And that could be the case. I've always liked Charlie Coyle. He's a big body, big forward. One thing I saw that I almost died and I almost had to go off the deep end with was someone write, um, this is just like the Jimmy Hayes deal. He's going to be the next Jimmy Hayes, like, that to me, like Jimmy Hayes couldn't even fucking skate. Like Coyle can fly. <laughs> so to me, it was just like, Jesus Christ, people, like fucking sober up. But um, I like the move. It's a deft move. He can now play that third line center role so we can be deep down the middle. I like it. I know there's a lot of mixed reviews, but I think Charlie Coyle's a great pickup and we didn't really give up much. 
Yeah, Donato, I think he has a future in the league. Uh, I can see him as a solid two-way winger on the third line in Minnesota that can chip in 15 to 20, maybe 25 goals some years. Um, and, you know, bring that tenacity on a four check. You know, he's a very small guy, but he's not going to take shit from anybody. So I think his value is a little overhyped because of his uh, college production and just playing in a major market in the Northeast, especially a city like Boston, like prospects are always going to get a little overhyped and overvalued. So I think Boston did well. You know, they're trying to win a cup now. And, and they have that window. They, it's not going to be five years from now hoping that Donato reaches his ceiling. So with that in mind, Charlie Coyle helps you win a cup potentially, not only for this year. He's signed for next year, too. So you get him for two Stanley Cup runs. Um, he's versatile. He doesn't box you in. He can play right wing. He's a right shot on a second line. Or he can play center. So that allowed them to be a little bit more flexible after that move heading into the trade line today and also for the summer in terms of free agency. Yeah, I think it's huge that he's not just a rental and we actually have him going into this summer. There's a lot of RFAs on the team. A lot of guys are going to be getting paid. So I think it's just nice knowing that what the number is already going into that. And the other thing, too, is I liked Ryan Donato, but at the same time, he would also be one of those RFAs this summer. How much do you pay strictly on potential? Like, hey, yeah, you could probably score 20 to 30 goals a year. You just don't do it right now, but you're going to want how much each year? You know, so I, I just feel like it's probably better to move on now than in the future. And will he go on and probably score 25 to 30 goals a year and shoving up the Bruins' ass like every other young kid that gets shipped out of town? Yeah, probably. But I personally like the move. Yeah, and the thing is, a guy like Donato, because of his size, like, again, he, the size has nothing to do with uh, the temperament of the player, but a lot of his production was going to have to be found on a power play, uh, where there's a little bit more room, uh, more structured for a guy like him. And on a depth chart for the power play, he's way down the list. Like, he wasn't going to get as much time on a power play in Boston as he's going to in Minnesota, which is going to help his production there. So even if he does... I think overextend himself an average 25 to 30 a year, which I don't think he's going to be able to consistently do, which doesn't make him a crappy player. But let's say he does that. I think that's putting himself in a situation where he wouldn't, even if he stayed in Boston, he wouldn't have reached those heights because of the different type of dynamic and environment among the group up front for the Bruins. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because I don't even know where he fits in on that PP2. So, yeah. Uh, and the other thing with Coyle was, like I mentioned, it allowed them to, because heading into a trade deadline, they could have easily said, all right, we can put Coyle on our uh, second line right wing, so let's go get a uh, third line center. If they couldn't find anything they liked in that way, I know they were after Kevin Hayes potentially, they can put Coyle at center and then trade for a wing on a second line. And it ended up where they missed out on Mark Stone, uh, Apparently, the asking price is too high. They didn't land a guy like Simmons or Grantland, but they were able to bring in Marcus Johansson from New Jersey, which is interesting because he's a natural left winger. So I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on that move. I am just, like, so mad at Don Sweeney about this. because <laughs> no, no, because he does it every year where he doesn't fucking pull the trigger earlier in the day. He has to wait till that 3 o'clock deadline so the news just kind of filters in. 
he paid a second and fourth round pick for a guy New Jersey only got for a second round pick. So we gave them something else. So I'm already a little aggravated about that. Another thing here is the history between Brad Marchand and Marcus Johansson. Marshy almost fucking killed him last year. And he missed almost 30 games. And he came out right before he was back in the lineup and said, you know, this is Marshy's ninth suspension. Like, how many is going to be too much before he finally kills somebody out there? So I understand when guys come to the same team, obviously, it is what it is. Bygones be bygones. But at the same time, it's, I don't know. If he already has that mentality going in, I just don't know how it blends. I like that he can fit in. So now your three wingers going down could be Pasternak, Heinen, and Johansson. So I like that part of it. But I just don't know how to feel that Don Sweeney, like, I talked to Phil about it earlier, and Phil had a great quote because I was telling him, here we go. I was basically saying, like, Sweeney went and he has a degree from Harvard. It's pretty simple to know fucking economics. When you wait and something is very high, like right at the deadline, obviously you're going to pay for it. And Phil's response was perfect where he said, yeah, well, you can go to Harvard and still be a shitty poker player. So (laughs) I, I think it just fits because he does this every year. He waits till the deadline. Drew Stafford. And then we ended up signing Lee Stepniak again for whatever fucking reason. I don't know. But, like, he waits and he only brings in, uh, like, Johansson had some good years in Washington, but he was also on a line with Ovi and Backstrom. Like, come on, dude. I could put up fucking numbers with Ovi and Backstrom. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Johansson's been uh, hot lately after coming back from his injury with New Jersey. I don't think it's a bad player to acquire, but, again... He's a natural left winger, and in his career, he's played really sporadically on the right side. So now you're at the point where you acquire two forwards, but if you're going to keep Coyle at center, you basically have the same hole that you had on a second line that you did before the two trades were made. Yeah, and, and I don't get that move by Sweeney. Like, I understand that we wouldn't be able to match the Matt Stone deal what Vegas was able to give them. I get that. But you're trying to tell me that we couldn't get Wayne Simmons? They gave up Ryan Hartman in a fourth-round pick. Like, we could give up anybody on the fourth line. Like You know what I'm saying? Like, we give up any of our fourth-line guys in a fucking fourth-round pick. Or even, like, the Zuccarello trade, which I know it's... I, I'll get into the details of the conditions on that trade, but no roster player, just two draft picks going from Dallas uh, to the Rangers for a guy top six who can play on your first line. He's a... Uh, Left shot, lefty shot, but he plays the right side, and he would slip, slide right into DeBrusque and Krejci on the second line. Yeah, I just, I, I just don't know. Like you said, like they didn't, you didn't even give up any roster players. Like it just drives me crazy sometimes. Sweeney's thinking, like he puts these kids, these prospects, on a pedestal. Guess what? You only have so many spots in your lineup. Some of these kids aren't gonna fucking make it. So you have to get rid of them at some point. And you know which ones are better than the other ones. Like, at this point, get rid of that fucking 15 draft. Get rid of Seneshin and get rid of fucking Zaboral. And just keep DeBrusque and everybody else is fucking gone. But he just, for whatever reason, he has this... He's a mental midget. Like, it's driving me fucking crazy. 
I think he's putting a lot of faith because he's putting the pussy on a pedestal. Yeah, I was gonna say like, okay, so you trade for Coyle. So let's say they're gonna put him on the second line right wing. Well, then who's your third line center? Noel Carey, Trent Frederick. You know, two really young guys playing top nine minutes for hopefully a deep playoff run. So then if you keep Coyle at center, he's putting a lot of faith because once Pashanak comes back, you have Heinen and Coleman and Wagner on the right side. I know Bacchus is still there, but he's not a top six forward anymore either. So which one of those unproven guys you're hoping carries some weight on the second line in the playoffs? Exactly. And that's exactly it. Like Heinen, Heinen has been playing good right now, probably because he's playing with Bergeron and Marchand. But like when Pasternak comes back, if you switch those lines up and Heinen goes back to Krejci and he sucks, like what does that tell you? It tells you that those two players are so fucking valuable. Anybody that plays with them is going to be good. Like if Danton Heinen can't retain any information and go back to David Krejci and not be able to play the way he did with Marchand and Bergeron, it's like, why? Why? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't get, like, I knew they were going to make another move. I just didn't think Marcus Johansson was in, in any way, shape, or form a fit for the Bruins. Like, I know, he's not a bad player. Like, he'll play on your third, potentially second line or second power play unit, whatever, and he'll chip in some offense. He's not going to embarrass you uh, defensively or anything, but does not move the needle at all. And Coyle only fills one of two holes. Well, the other thing, too, was... Johansson wasn't even on anybody's radar. Like, no one even had this guy being traded, and then we end up with a, like, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just pivoting a little bit to uh, my guys now, the Rangers, everybody knew they were going to be rebuilding this year. Uh, they had a couple uh, free agents that everybody knew was going to be traded, uh, Matt Zuccarello, Kevin Hayes, Adam McQuaid. Um, the first trade went down where Matt Zuccarello was traded to Dallas for two draft picks. And uh, when I first heard of the trade, I thought it was a garbage return in the sense that they didn't get any prospect back. Everybody was expecting the Rangers to get a similar package to what they got from Michael Grabner from New Jersey last year, which was a, a solid uh, prospect and a second-round pick. Initially, the Rangers got uh, get back a second-round pick in 2019, and a third-round pick in 2020. But the conditions of the pick, even though they're a long shot to be achieved, they're pretty interesting. I want to get your opinion on what you think of the move. So the second-round pick in 2019 is a conditional pick. It becomes a first-rounder if the Stars make it to the conference final in a Western Conference, and Zuccarello plays half of Dallas's playoff games, which now that... I'll get into that injury, but now that's a little up in the air. Um, so I know that's an extreme long shot because, first of all, if they are a wild card team, they would have to go through the gauntlet of either Nashville and Winnipeg or Calgary and San Jose just to get to the conference final. Um, the third round pick in 2020, which is a little bit more likely to happen, is it turns into a first rounder in 2020 if the Stars re-sign Zuccarello this summer. So, theoretically, the Rangers could have traded a rental for two first-round picks, uh, but more likely it's going to be a second-round pick and potentially a first-round pick. Yeah, and I don't think that's bad because the conditions on them are definitely in your favor. I mean, like you said, outside of the first one where they have to make the conference finals and all that, but they definitely have cap room, and 
if he likes it down there, why wouldn't he sign? Sagan, Ben, I know they had that little thing earlier in the season with the CEO. Maybe he'll be a little skeptical of that. But um, I don't know why he wouldn't. Tax-free, nice, sunny, golf. Yeah, I guess the Rangers were interested in, they approached them a couple weeks ago about, listen, we're going to move you for the best offer we can get, but what would it, what's the possibility of us re-signing you this summer? And in talking to Zuccarello's agent, it was basically laid out to the Rangers that he would want a five-year deal at $5 million a year um, entering his age 31 season. And the Rangers like, well, now that we know we're not going to re-sign him for that money, that's why they put that condition on a third-round pick they got back from Dallas because, like you said, Dallas has a cap room. They're more of a spot to be a contender than the Rangers next season, and they definitely would still need that secondary scoring help. Um, personally, Zuccarello, big fan favorite in New York, favorite of mine. Uh, he's kind of like, a, this is funny to say, but a little bit of a bigger Ryan Donato. Uh, didn't take shit from anybody. Um, Rangers signed him from Europe, came over, stepped in right away, was a fixture on Rangers' second line, uh, power play unit. He was on the team through the Tortorella years when we went to the Stanley Cup, um, all the way through those battles with Washington, Pittsburgh, and Tampa, and then the last season and a half when the Rangers threw in a towel a little bit and started their rebuild. So he's been here for a long time in New York. He was Lundqvist's best friend on the team. They never played... Neither of them played a game as a Ranger without the other being on a roster. Um, they do a lot of charity work together. So it was definitely more than a Stefan trade, more than any other trade the Rangers have made recently in their rebuild. This one hurt the most for Ranger fans. And I know we both saw that clip of Lundqvist getting choked up when they asked him about his thoughts about losing Zuccarello. Um, yeah, so that one was a real gut punch for Ranger fans. Yeah, I saw that clip too. It was one of those things like... I know they say it's a business and everything else, but I feel like hockey guys, as opposed to every other sport, they're so much tighter. Like you do so much shit with your, with your teammates. It's crazy. Like you get to the rink, you have breakfast together. You go, you have practice. You're in the weight room together. Then you shower together. Hey, let's go get lunch somewhere. Like, I just feel like you're always with the boys. And like you said, when you've played every NHL game with another guy too through the same team. Yeah, that one hurts big time. Yeah, and both of them had really serious uh, life scares as part of the Ranger organization. Zuccarello took that slouch shot off the side of his helmet, which fractured his skull and actually uh, took away his ability to speak for a few weeks and he had to like relearn all that stuff. Lundqvist had that blood clot scare after he took the uh, high stick slash puck to the throat a few years back. Um, it was definitely the thing for me when it, I sort of Lundqvist thing was he committed to this organization. Uh, they asked him like, listen, we're going to be re- rebuilding. We know you're in, in your mid thirties. Do you want to go to a contender? Like we'll help facilitate that. He committed to the organization. He committed to the city. He loves playing here. And I think part of that might've been shattered with the Zuccarello trade. And the fact that the Rangers always talk about we're a family. We know this is a business, but like we value, relationships and for the Rangers to turn around and trade Zuccarello who's the best friend of your franchise guy for two draft picks um even if they have the potential to be first rounders that might have stung Lundqvist a little bit more where now he's not looking at it so much as I love this city and I love this team I want to see it through and more of like okay well if it's a business 
then I'm going to start treating it like a business too, which is like one of my fears here. Well, one thing I saw, I don't remember who it was. It was on Twitter, but they posted it Sunday morning. It said, if I'm Henrik Lundqvist, I walk into Gorton's office and tell him I want to be traded. Oh, Corey Hirsch posted that. Okay, yeah. I was like, I know I saw it. And I was like, I mean, shit, you, you guys would get a haul for him, but obviously it didn't happen. I don't even think he had that conversation, but. No, I don't even, I don't even think we get a lot in return for him at this point. It's signed for eight and a half mil for two more years. He's 37 years old. Like his numbers have been deflated a little bit because of the team he's playing behind the last year and a half, two years. So can't look at it that way. But what, what legitimate Stanley cup contender is missing a goalie that has the cap room and would give up something for a 37 year old goalie. That's the only problem. It would be more of uh, doing him a favor for he can get a chance at a Stanley Cup more than trading him for like a big prospect haul. I think. Yeah, but I mean, we've talked about certain teams that have had goalie issues anyway. So I mean, if you could actually solidify yourself a number one starting goalie, and the one that can take the workload that Hank takes, I mean, you guys will definitely get a big haul in return. No question. I mean. If that was the case, he has a new movement clause, so if he doesn't want to go to a place like Columbus, Ohio, he's not going to go. But let's say he was willing to go to a contender whose only criteria was, I want to be traded to a legitimate contender. If you're Calgary, wouldn't you have been all over that shit? Because you're battling San Jose in a Western Conference. You have a great defense. You have really high-powered scoring lines. You're just shit and goal if you have Lundqvist to that in the seven game series against the San Jose or Winnipeg like that gives you a shot yeah no question it gives you a shot I mean he's better than Smitty there's no question about that but yeah so moving on a little bit Zuccarello sad to see him go is really weird to see him in the Dallas green but that's what happens when you miss your chance in your Stanley Cup window uh, the second trade the Rangers made was sending Kevin Hayes to Winnipeg, which has been a long-standing rumor for about two months now as a possibility. Rangers get back a first-round pick in 2019. They get back, for the Winnipeg Jets anyway, a depth fourth-line forward in Brendan Lemieux, and then they get a conditional fourth-round pick in 2019 that only goes to the Rangers if Winnipeg wins the Stanley Cup this year. So what do you think? I mean, I, I think there's a chance for that. To definitely happen. Uh, Winnipeg looks pretty good. Um, it definitely gives them a lot of depth up front there, too. Hayes can fucking score goals, and Line A's been a little lost as a late. So, I mean, I think it's good for them to be able to plug another guy into that lineup that can score goals. I already told you earlier what I thought about Brendan Lemieux. Just because of his father, <laughs> I don't fucking like him. But um, you guys are going to get a first-round pick. So how many first-round picks do you guys already have? So set in stone, we have two first-round picks, but we can have four if conditions are met. So, so that's if, nice. If Tampa wins the Stanley Cup, we get their first-round pick. If Dallas makes the conference final, we get their first-round pick. But for things that are set in stone right now, we have two first-round picks, four second-round picks, and three third-round picks. So we have seven. We have nine picks in the first 100 selections. That's pretty solid. And I mean, the the best part about draft picks, too, is you can shuffle them. You can make them for this year, next year. Like, you can build out. So, I mean, it's definitely nice. And with the rebuild that you guys are in, it is clutch having all of these picks. Yeah, the 
thing that was interesting was one of the Ranger B guys said that when they were discussing the reason why the Kevin Hayes to Winnipeg thing took so long and Winnipeg kind of checked in on Mark Stone was the Rangers are trying to push to have Patrick Lande included in a move. Like they wanted to make a blockbuster move because Lande struggles and Winnipeg's having a cap crunch issue. But Winnipeg said, we're not saying no, we're saying not right now. Interesting. So I wonder how they, uh, they probably just see the way he plays out the rest of the year. And who knows? I mean, as a GM, you always have to have your phone open. I mean, people are going to call on certain players and whether you want to say they're available or not, but sometimes if the return's too good, can't just say no. Yeah. Uh, speaking on Lemieux at the first round pick, you know, it's going to be a late first round pick. So it's, you know, a lottery ticket at that point for the Rangers, but Lemieux uh, son of Claude Lemieux has the same type of sandpaper type game, which actually the Rangers are in need of. Uh, they're very, they're one of the league leaders in fighting majors, but they're not very tough to play against. Like they're a good four checking team. They'll use the body, but they're not very tough to play against. They're not a very uh, excitable team in a sense of teams aren't going into the garden saying, all right, we got to keep an eye out on like this guy or that guy. Lemieux brings that, and I think he's been extremely underutilized as a former, I think he was drafted 51st overall, 41st overall by uh, Winnipeg, Buffalo actually, um, in his offensive game. He has nine goals, and he only averages seven minutes of ice time a game for Winnipeg through his sporadic call-ups this year. So I think he's a guy who's going to get plenty of opportunity in New York. I can see him definitely turning into a legitimate you know, 10 to 15 goal 30 to 40 point agitating two-way guy for the rangers which would be like a great return for a rental on Hayes to get him in the first round pick no i mean he, he definitely fills a role and he serves a role don't get me wrong it's just i don't know maybe i just don't like him because who his father was it is what it is <laughs> i mean if anybody shouldn't like him it should be me man we were the rivals with the devils all those years but i I keep thinking back to when the Rangers traded for Sean Avery, and everybody knows I'm a fanboy for that guy, but very unheralded move, guy who had offensive potential but wasn't really realizing it, agitating type guy, Rangers needed some grit to their team. I think they traded Jason Ward for him and that was in a seventh-round pick, and that was it, and he turned into a legitimate top-nine, sometimes line winger who can pot 15, 20 goals a year, and if that's what Lemieux turns out to be, at still 22 years old, I think, 23. Great move for the Rangers there. Um, last move the Rangers made, before we start getting into more of the NHL talk, they shipped Adam McQuaid to Columbus, who's all in. Uh, and they basically got back what they traded for him. They, so in the summer, the Rangers traded uh, depth defenseman Stephen Camper, a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round pick for McQuaid. And they just got back Julius Bergman, who's a depth guy, a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round pick. So outside of losing some slots in the draft based on a draft order, they basically traded for McQuaid, helped, had him in a room and during the rebuild a little bit, another veteran voice in the room, and he actually helped settle down Brady Shea as his season wore on and then sent him off and basically broke even. So not too bad of a, uh asset management there by Gordon. No, and I mean, I think he knew going into it that what McQuaid was going to give them. He was going to give them leadership. He was going to be, 
I mean, obviously he's a top six guy, but he's just a stay-at-home defenseman, tough as nails, not afraid of anybody, not going to take any shit around the net. You, you know what you get with them day in and day out. The, the kid's a warrior. Yeah, and, you know, we always joke about when he plays, he's those guys. So uh, in Columbus, I think he's going to be, he's going to love playing for a guy like Torts. Torts is going to love having a guy like him. Uh, Columbus was looking for a defenseman to pick up because of Ryan Murray's injury, who even though he's expected back. So McQuaid fits that where he can step in right now and potentially be okay with being scratched at times when Murray comes back. So I like that move for Columbus. Rangers basically break even. Uh, that was all the moves the Rangers made. They didn't have any other unrestricted free agents, really. They had some interest in guys like uh, Vladimir Mesnikov and uh, Ryan Strom, but they didn't pull the trigger there. We still need some NHL bodies for the rest of the year. Uh, so that was it there. I'm actually curious on your thoughts on any of the notable trades from around the league or any ones that you think are underrated. Well, one thing, I like to give credit where it's due. I know some people, uh, no, fuck that, blah, blah, blah. But Peter Dorian in Ottawa, like he sat all three of those guys out. He knew exactly what he wanted, and he made out on every trade. Like he won. Yeah. Like the, the first with the uh, Duchesne trade and then the, the Zingle trade, both going to class. So, I mean, obviously... There must have been interest when they made the first trade for another one to go there. And then with Stone, I mean, Stone kind of held his own cards a little bit too with his no movement, but goes to Vegas and he signs the extension. That D prospect that they pick up too, he's already rumored to be the next Eric Carlson. So, I mean, yeah, you want to talk about a turnaround for an organization that they've already proclaimed that they are on a five-year plan. Whatever that plan is, I don't know, but they're on a five-year plan, <laughs> and that's what it is. So through that, I mean, I just think Pierre, Pierre Dorian is definitely jump-starting that with everything he just did. And one other thing, too, you said it earlier, that Anthony Duclair now, holy shit, a lot of miles on a young kid. This is, what, his third team now, fourth team? Fifth team as a 23-year-old former high draft pick. Yeah, that's a little scary to me. Like, when the Rangers traded him, Sather was kind of destroyed by Ranger fans because he had a lot of potential as a speed-scoring prospect, and Rangers really didn't develop many of those during their Stanley Cup run because he traded so many of their picks. So when we moved them, there was a lot of uh, upset fans when we moved them for Keith Yandel. Turns out, Sather had it right. Like, yeah, every once in a while you'll see him pop up on NHL.com with, like, a nice goal, but he provides nothing else besides that if he provides that. So he's turning into more of, like, a Brandon Peary type than any legitimate type forward. Yeah, I just I just don't know why he doesn't end up blending with these organizations. I don't know if it's he takes a couple of games off, and then, like you said, he ends up doing, like, a highlight reel goal, and then he's back to being ice cold. But it's just one of those things, too, like, at being 23 and now you're on your fifth different team, I don't think you're going to spend too much time in the league. I don't care how good you are. Like, that's just not a good track record. Yeah. Um, a couple I wanted to touch on, maybe not individual trades per se, but organizations that there's a reason why year in and year out they're contenders. 
they don't get pushed into a decision that then they don't want to do. They'll they're very willing to sit out until they get the uh, trade offer that they want to make. One of those is the Capitals, defending Stanley Cup champs. They basically did nothing at the deadline last year. They won a Stanley Cup this year. A lot of big names in the market. You never really heard Washington connected to any of them, but I think they made two very underrated, under the radar moves for depth. Um, that's going to help them in a long, potentially long uh, playoff run to defend their Stanley Cup when they got Carl Hagelin, who can play in your third, fourth line, help out their penalty kill, which has been a major issue for the Capitals this year. Um, he's battle-tested. He has the most playoff games played of any active player in the NHL at this point, um, which is funny because a third of those have come against the Capitals from all those years with the Rangers. And then they made that move for Nick Jensen. He can play second, third pair. You can slide him up and down. Uh, your pairings, if necessary, can help out your penalty kill too. And he didn't give up much of anything uh, in terms of sending things the other way towards L.A. and Detroit. So I think Washington, you know, just supplemented what they already had and did so in a very, very strong way. Yeah, and I mean, they gave up nothing for Haglin, like two conditional picks. Like, yeah. th- that's how you become better. Like, I, I just don't get how certain teams that are in certain situations don't make the push or just, like, Washington gets out of it for nothing. Like, late picks, not like they were high picks. Like, I, I just don't get it. Exactly, and... Another organization that, you know, they haven't won a Stanley Cup yet, but they're always putting themselves in position to do so. The Predators made a couple of great moves. I think they made the two, potentially two most influential trades of the deadline today, not necessarily the whole deadline. Uh, they got Michael Granlin from Minnesota for Kevin Fiala, one for one. Fiala is a very good, he's 22 years old. He scored 23 goals last year. He's very talented. He just was very consistent this year. They moved him for a veteran who can play center but flourishes on the wing, helps out the Predators' power play. Um, I believe he is signed for one more year as well, so they get two playoff runs out of him. He's going to fit well on a second line in Nashville, and then they added some grit uh, to go against the eventual second-round matchup with Winnipeg and their big bodies uh, by trading for Simmons. So I think Nashville made two pretty strong moves there too. I mean, you think about it too. Now you got Simmons and Boyle up front. Yes, those are some big boys. Um, as for that Fiala and Granlin trade, one other thing too: the year they went to the Cup final, that was the year Fiala got hurt, ended up breaking his legs into the board, and then Johansson got hurt. Yeah, um, he was on fire up until he got hurt. So I wonder if this is maybe they see something with him rehabbing from the injury. Maybe he. He lost half a step, and in this league, that if you lose half a step, you're not worth it anymore. So maybe they just <laughs> see something like that, and it's like, well, if we could get Grandland instead, why not? Yeah, and Winnipeg, you know, they made the trade for Kevin Hayes. Uh, like I said, another big body goes with guys like Brian Little, Shifley, um, Blake Wheeler up front of the Jets. Going to be very tough to play against. He's a very versatile guy. He's better suited as a strong third line forward as opposed to what he was playing with the Rangers um, as a first, second line guy. He can play in your power play. He's a near elite passer. Um, he helps out on a penalty kill. He's developed into a pretty good face-off guy. 
Uh, you can match him up against pretty much anybody. So the Jets made a strong move there. And then I also like some of their depth moves that they made. They traded for Nathan <clears throat> Lulu from Buffalo, excuse me, for a six-round pick, basically nothing. Um, and then they made a minor move for Paul Lindholm from Toronto, who's a depth guy that they can use to call up to replace what they gave up in Brendan Lemieux in terms of having a body for depth if necessary. So Winnipeg, again, loading up. And it's like an arms race out there in the West between Winnipeg and Nashville. Yeah, I mean, that's just going to be two. I mean, it's almost like a world war when those two come together. Like, it's just big bodies, and there's just shit everywhere. Just a battlefield. Um, and the thing for Nashville, sorry, I just want to touch on that Simmons trade. They gave Apartment. They traded a first-rounder to Chicago for him last year, and then they flip him in a conditional pick for Simmons. So essentially, they traded a first-rounder for Simmons. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. It makes you wonder, though, too, with Philly just giving Simmons up for a fourth rounder and Ryan Hartman, the market must have kind of dropped. Like, I think a lot more people must have been in on Stone. And then towards the end, they might have been shitting their pants a little bit because they're like, well, we, we need this phone to ring because we need to start making some deals here. <laughs> yeah, Stone ending up in Vegas, which is interesting. Uh, they gave up that their first round pick from 2017. You mentioned like he has a potential by some scouts to be a similar player to Eric Carlson. Uh, Vegas also gave up. He's a fourth line forward, but he was huge in a locker room. Oscar Lindbergh had a lot of friends there, and they were kind of apparently they were stunned at hearing that he was included in the deal. But they got the top uh, rental forward on a market to add to a team that's kind of struggling offensively. So they're not giving up. Uh, their position only, out there in the West either. Not only the top rental, but then he signed an extension too. So he's yeah. there with Pacioretty and Stastny now. So that's a big three up front. Yeah, I was going to ask, what are your thoughts on that extension? Eight years, nine and a half million a year for Mark Stone. <laughs> I think it's a little high, personally. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I like Stone. I just don't know if, if he's worth that. Like, Dude, that's crazy money. That's a lot of dough. That if I, we're paying you nine and a half, you should be scoring at least forty a year. Yeah, I'm curious what Panarin's Panarin and his agent must have been like popping champagne bottles when Mark Stone signed for nine and a half mil. Oh, that's that's absolute. It it's insanity because now Panarin's gonna go for at least what eleven five twelve. Yeah, he's going to be up to a guy like Kane, maybe a shade under a guy like Kane, but now you're looking at teams that probably, like, a team like Florida that might have been interested in bringing him on. I don't think they can realistically dole out just that actual cash on hand for a guy like Panarin unless they make other moves. And then you have the Rangers. Do the Rangers really want to tie up almost 25% of their cap or 15% of their cap in Panarin, or they don't want to spread that around in a rebuild, things like that. So that... I'm pretty sure other GMs around the league are pretty pissed off at Vegas right now for that deal. Yeah, another deal that I'm personally pissed off at is uh, the Bruins last night were in on Gustav Nyquist, but Nyquist has his own no-trade movement, and um, he declined the trade, said, no, I'm not going to Boston. And then he ends up in San Jose. Now my question to you is, do you think he looked at the playoff race and said, if I go to Boston we have to go through Tampa Bay and it's not happening. If he stays in the West, 
I mean, I think San Jose in a seven-game series, I think anything with them in Calgary could happen. I think anything with them in Vegas could happen. So maybe he was just more optimistic that if he went out there, there was a better chance to go deeper into the playoffs. I mean, San Jose is the number one seed in the West right now uh, by a couple points over Winnipeg. So it could be that. I could also. It's, I probably think it's more towards he's looking at the rosters, and I don't. It's hard to. I'm perfectly okay with being called out on a statement, but if I'm looking at it from his point of view. I think you looked at it where if he went to Boston and had that basically tornado of attention that the Bruins get up there and he's being acquired as the guy to fill that hole on a second line right wing, maybe he doesn't want that pressure. Now he's going to San Jose where San Jose didn't even need him. Like they basically just got him in case an injury happens. Now he's playing on a third line with Joe Thornton. He's going to get some power play time. He's like this eighth most offensively gifted guy in that group. So I know that's maybe unfair of me to say because nobody knows what he's thinking internally, but that kind of is how it run me the wrong way. No, and I mean, it, it definitely could be that. There's definitely a lot more media attention in Boston than there is in San Jose. So, I mean, yeah, maybe you just thought about it like, hey, I'm going to go in a free agency. I'm going to cruise into this thing, and we'll see what happens. But Yeah, I was surprised that San Jose made a trade for a forward. If anything, I thought they would go for some help on the back end potentially, but yeah, they have plenty of options up front now. I mean, Joe Thorne's your third line center. That's what you need to know about what they're doing out here in San Jose. They're one of the most complete offensive teams there is. Um, so interesting there. The other organization I think we both wanted to touch on was Columbus. We've been talking about Columbus for a long time about are they going to trade Panarin? Are they going to keep him? Same thing with their goalie, Borowski. Um, conventional wisdom was, you know, they were on a little bit of a losing streak. They were on a playoff bubble. You don't want to lose those guys for nothing, especially if you're just going to get a first round playoff exit, uh, playing potentially Tampa Bay. The GM turns around, puts his balls on a fucking table and goes, screw it. And trades for not only pending free agent, Matthew Shane, but also pending free agent, Ryan Dezingle and pending free agent Adam McQuaid to add to Panarin, to add to Bravosky, and trade for Keith Kincaid and goes, listen, we may not get another shot like this. Peng- Pittsburgh's kind of flopping. The Islanders are the Islanders. Like, I don't think anybody's scared to play them in the playoffs. If we can just get by Washington in the Metro bracket and hope that Toronto or t- uh, Boston upsets Tampa, we could go to the Cup. Yeah, I, I can't believe he went all in. I thought he was – no, and I, I mean it, dude. I thought he was going to sell the farm. But then he picks up Duchesne. He picks up Dezingle. He keeps Panarin. He keeps Bobrovsky. Like, their last 10, they're 7-3-0. and oh. I, I'm with you, dude. I think there's a chance, and I think he sat in that fucking GM office with closed doors with a couple of guys, wrote it all out, and said, this is our plan. Yeah. Now – if you're a guy that's been on Columbus, let's say you're a guy who can I pick out here. Uh, let's say Nick Felino, right. you know, captain for Columbus. He's been through thick and thin with them for a few years now. You know, the organization has supported him when he had the issues, health issues with his young daughter, fan favorite out there. 
And there is all the speculation all year long. Are we going to trade our best forward? Are we going to trade our number one goalie? Like, what's the point if we're doing it? And then you see your ownership and your management just go, fuck it, and bring in the number one center on the market, a complimentary scoring winger to Zingle, a playoff-tested Stanley Cup champion defenseman who can help out on a third pair in McQuaid, and you bring in another goalie because Bobrovsky hasn't played that well, and Kincaid, who has a history of playing well, splitting time, I would be rock hard in that locker room right now. Oh, dude, I don't know how he was just like not in his office, just beating his meat in circles, like right around <laughs> Yarmo. You're like, you just traded for whom? What? Like, yeah, I, I think it's insane. At the same time, though, too, if you're in that room, can you imagine, A, how high your confidence is, but B, like, they believe in us. Like, yeah. they think we can actually do this. That's an intangible you can't measure in terms of playoff matchups, where these guys are like, they get that added passion to it. Now we're like, all right, we're all in, I'm all in. Um, the other thing is, and I, of course I have to bring this back to the Rangers, when the news of the Duchesne trade first went down, and then the next day the Dzingel trade happened, I texted you and I was like, brass balls. And it goes back to one of my favorite quotes from Sather when he was a GM of the Rangers, and he traded for Lindros. He's like, you can either die as a lamb or go out like a lion when it comes to making moves. And Columbus is like, fuck it. If we lose, at least it won't be because we didn't try. And the fan base out there must go, listen, let's say they've come up short. At least we tried. Exactly. Because look at this the other way, right? You're the New York Islanders of last year. You keep Tavares. You don't add shit at the deadline, and then you lose them. Yep. That's it. Here, you make it to a conference final, you lose. Fuck it, we tried. Yeah, which would be the first and second playoff series wins in franchise history if they go that far. So, like, you got to go in eventually at some point. You can't always be in a state of retooling like Columbus has been for, like, the last decade. The other thing, bringing it back to the Rangers, is the team president is John Davidson, J.D., I grew up listening to him play-by-play. Uh, well, color guy for MSG Network. Oh, baby was his catchphrase. Apparently, 24 hours before the Duchesne trade, they were having high-level meetings with the owner, GM, and Davidson was in there. And Davidson showed up, said, don't worry, guys, I'm not going to be here long. And on the screen, he played when the Rangers last faced off at the Stanley Cup, and he raised the cup, and he's like, that's what I'm here for. If you aren't, then fire me and walked out. I like that. And I was like, God damn, I want to run through a fucking wall right now. <laughs> and, and you want to know what's funny, too, about Davidson and uh, Kikalainen? They have been a one-two punch since St. Louis. When yeah. J.D. was in St. Louis and then he ended up going to Columbus to take that president job, he was the one who gave Kikalainen the GM job. So those two were a one-two, and they've been together a long time now. Yeah, I just love a lot of teams are scared. They just will stick with what we have. It's a, they always play the what if it doesn't work out? What if it does? What if you it, what if everything breaks right and Dzingel scores a goal in OT to send you to the cup or something? Like, what if it works out right? And I'm so happy for the fan base in Columbus that they finally have a guy who has the balls big enough to go, screw it. If you don't make it, we don't make it, but I'm not going to. You know, just pass it, pass it on for next year. 
Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on really quickly was uh, Minnesota again. I know we talked about the Donato trade. I, I kind of like what they're doing here. Uh, they knew they needed to change up the chemistry. Everybody thought they would blow up the roster and kind of go into a rebuild, which made no sense to me when you had Parisi and Sutter tied locked up and Devin uh, Dubnik and Gold tied up in contracts for a few more years. So instead of blowing everything up, they were frustrated with a guy like Coyle. They shipped him off for a young, cheap, potential top six, top nine power play guy in Donato. Uh, they shipped off Granlin, who's a longtime guy there, uh, for a young 20-goal guy who has very strong possession numbers and Kevin Fiala, who's also much cheaper. Uh, and then he signed Eric Stahl to a two-year contract extension to keep him in Minnesota. $3.5 million a year uh, is the cap hit. Very reasonable for a guy who wanted to stay there, provides veteran leadership. There will be a couple more trades this summer, no doubt. But I like that Minnesota isn't going into full tank mode. They just are looking at it where they're getting younger and getting more, a little bit more flexibility under the salary cap. Yeah, I think they need that flexibility anyways with their whole decor and how they locked guys up but the whole coil donato thing i feel like they're partially at fault for the whole coil thing because they would have him play wing even though he said he's more comfortable at center and they have him play center a game that push him back to the wing that i feel yeah. like it was just one of those things of you know shit doesn't work out sometimes i get it but it's like if a player is telling you he's more comfortable in a certain position you should probably play him there because, I mean, growing up, what, what position did you play? Uh, I started out as a left winger and then moved back to defense because I just liked the feel of having more space and time to make a decision. But once as you moved back to D and you stuck there, you've played D the whole time through, no? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was like, I, if you need me back up front, that's fine, but, like, I'm very much more comfortable playing on a back end. Yeah, I just feel like I know growing up, a lot of these players were probably better than their competition. And I feel like a lot of players automatically attract to center because they're a little bit faster than other guys. But then when you get to this level, you know, you're not going to be the fastest, obviously, and you have to be fast playing center. It's a lot of work. Yeah, no, it's not an easy job. So it's just like one of those things that, if a guy actually tells you he wants to play center, he's more comfortable there, you figure you'd put him there just because it's probably like <laughs> the most important position. Like, what the fuck? Well, it was like the opposite with the Rangers and JT Miller. Miller always produced better as the one where they kept pushing him back to center because they didn't have the depth at the time and his play would decrease. And then they shipped him off to Tampa. Tampa's like, don't worry, you're going to be playing wing here. And he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. Um, the last thing about the trade deadline. You know, I can't believe we forgot this. The conference-altering trade that was made by the St. Louis Blues today, they traded a six-round pick in 2019 for Michael Delzato. Your boy. <laughs> Your boy. So, you know, big-time move there. You know, potential number nine defenseman on your depth chart. <laughs> but it's a shame to see how far he's fallen uh, since being drafted by the Rangers. But, yeah, I mean, St. Louis is still on fire. I know we, don't, we want to kind of move away from the trade talk a little bit, but I actually want to ask you, post-trade deadline, forgetting conferences, anything else like that, for the rest of the season before the playoffs start, give me your top five power teams. Ooh. Um, 
I'll stick, Maybe not in order. I'll, just, just I'll stick pod. with I'll stick with Tampa because I think they're just there. I think Columbus, with all the firepower they added, they have to be up there. Uh, Winnipeg is definitely up there. Nashville, and then who we need for the last one? I'm gonna go Minnesota on the last one. Minnesota. Yep. Minnesota. You think they're gonna make a push? I think they're making a push. All right. Doesn't yeah, they're still right there in the playoff race. It's interesting because they do have the talent. So maybe the tread that that line's gone. They're like, all right, we're still here, let's figure this shit out. Yeah, they, they treaded water long enough to now they're there. Um all right. one question for you. Are you surprised that the Islanders didn't make any deals at all? Like not even a deaf defenseman, uh, another like just a depth forward, like no moves at all. I'm surprised just because Lamorello is a GM and he usually likes to tinker a little bit at the deadline if he doesn't make a big move, even though he goes big game hunting a lot uh, during his time with the Devils. I think now that's two straight deadlines where they didn't make pretty much any move with two different GMs, which tells me one thing. Ownership does not want to commit money to the roster right now. That could be it completely. Like they want to just ride it out and see what happens. This year's a found year in terms of the success they're having. So the owners are probably just looking at banking probably only two home playoff game receipts for tickets. <laughs> and that's just like found money. And then they're just going to go, well, we can't do anything until the arena is built. And that's a revenue source. And we start booking that. So like, it's a, don't worry guys, we have a plan. And, I've been hearing that. I grew up on Long Island. I'm a Rangers fan, but I grew up on Long Island. I've been hearing that since 1998 with Brian Burrard. You know, don't worry, guys. It's a five-year plan. And then you look up, and it's 30 years later, and you're still fucking talking about a five-year plan. So two different GMs, same shit. So, again, I feel like the Islanders' ownership probably stepped in. We're like, well, we don't want to take on salary at this point in time. And that could very well be it. So, Yeah, my top five really quick. No particular order. Tampa, San Jose, Winnipeg, Columbus. And this is going to be a little controversial here. I'm leaving off Nashville. They're, they're number six. I'm going to go St. Louis at five. I like it. I, I, think they found, I think they found their goalie. No, I mean, when you asked me, I strictly just went off of people that actually made deals, so. That, that's oh, okay. why I said Minnesota as opposed to St. Louis. If we were just going top five, just with the heater they've been on, they have to be up there. Yeah. Well, I think everybody that's listening is probably tired of the trade deadline talk, even though we could probably continue going on for like another two hours about this stuff. But I know we had a, few, a couple little uh, hits that we wanted to make, uh, all things that happened in the last week before uh, we wrap up. So what do we got? We got uh, Connor McDavid suspended two games for a hit to the head of Nick Letty. Thoughts? That's what Nick Letty gets for getting in the way of a guy who's been on the Oilers since he was 18. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what to respond to you. Um, Nikita Kucherov, 100 points. Um, A couple of random stats with it. The last player to score 97 points in 60 games. Mario Lemieux in 96-97. So I think Kucherov's starting to be there. and uh, It only took him 62 games to reach 100 points. Do you think he can make 
120, 130? I think he's going to come incredibly close to that. I think he has a chance at 120 if he gets on like a little bit more of a uh, heater again, um, like he can get on. It's just crazy to me that, you know, Kucherov's on Tampa. You still have a guy like Stamskos. Outside of like legitimate NHL press or like fans or guys that pay attention to every team around the league, you hear nothing about it. And Tampa Bay is a good hockey market. Like, it has nothing to do with them being in Tampa Bay. But could you imagine if Kucherov is doing this for the Rangers or the Flyers or the Penguins or the Sharks? Oh, yeah. The talk of the NHL, no question. So it's incredible to me that he's not getting more recognition for that. But I think part of it is he's getting a little bit of a detraction because of the guys that are around him on a team. They're like, oh, yeah, of course he's doing that. He's playing on a line with Sam Coase and points. No, and I get that. But the other thing, it's like, well, where's the Crosby and McDavid talk about that? You know, silence. Yeah, so, I don't know. Uh, do, do, um, okay. No, no, you go. I was just going to say, like, other than that, I think a lot of the time has been devoted to the trade deadline. Um, Zuccarello, I just want to touch on when Dallas made the trade for him. First game, had a goal and two, two assists for three points. Had a really strong debut, and then he blocked his shot and broke his arm and needed a surgery, and he's out minimum four weeks for Dallas. So tough, no pun intended, break for Zuccarello and Dallas. Um, but I think I was surprised that they knew that ahead of the deadline, and they still didn't make another move for another throw in case there's any complications with Zuccarello's uh, recovery. Yeah, I find that interesting, too, that legit it happened Saturday, so he still had Sunday and today to get a replacement so they must uh maybe they were like the other guys and they just figured that's what they were spending and that's it so yeah which is very typical around the league um if that's it i think we have time for our game of the week lock of the week and today in NHL history all right well can i touch on one other thing real quick too one last thing sure uh david pasternak today they had an update on him uh, so this is the two weeks since the surgery. The update is he will be out another two weeks. He is going back into a cast. And then oh, shit. after that two weeks, he will then be put into a splint, and he'll be able to play with it. Uh, it's basically just going to be a comfort level thing. One thing for me is, A, comfort-wise, how are you going to feel stick handling and all that? But B, once you get to the playoffs and it gets ugly... They are gonna overhand chop the shit out of that thumb. Yeah, like, I I don't I do not think he is gonna be useful in the playoffs. That's my hot take right that's now. That's a that, yeah, that's a serious altering oh, issue yeah. right there for the Bruins against the Maple Leafs. Like I felt pretty confident that if they ended up playing in the first round, you guys would pull it out. But being down Pasternak now, not really filling the hole in the second line even with Pasternak healthy, that could that could swing in the Toronto's favor. Oh, yeah, no question. I mean, he, he carried the team the first four months of the year, so. Yeah, that's, wow, oh, going back into the cast is never a good sign. Well, I, I knew from the get-go it was going to be at least four to six weeks. Like, people, oh, they said it's only two weeks. Yeah, believe me, we've all been there. They always give you the, the bright bulb handle. <laughs> like, that's not it. 
Yeah, we'll see what happens there. That's yeah, that's a really bad development for you guys. Um, moving into game and lock of the week picks, uh, I'll start out first. Uh, I'm going to go game of the week first, and I'm going to go with uh, Pittsburgh and Columbus uh, tomorrow night, February 26th, at home in Columbus. You know they made all those big moves to go on all in. Uh, they're still fighting off. Pittsburgh for the third spot in the Metro and trying to catch up to Washington for the second spot in the Metro. Pittsburgh is on a bubble, surprisingly enough. I still doubt they're, they're going to miss the playoffs, but they're on a bubble. Interesting, they didn't really make any moves outside of adding Erica Branson at the deadline, which they're going into the playoffs with two of their top six being Erica Branson and Jack Johnson, so all the luck to them. Um, so that's interesting there, but that's my game of the week. You know, a little bit of a rivalry developing after the last few playoff series. My lock of the week, you know, this does, this pains me a little bit. I'm just hoping that it's a nationally televised game, which is going to be embarrassing. I just hope that uh, Georgiev starts in goal because it's Tampa on a road against the Rangers on national television, Wednesday, February 27th. That's my lock of the week. Uh, I got a couple games of the week. Uh, two of them are Tuesday, February 26th. Calgary at the Islanders. I think that's going to be a good game. It's at the Coliseum. Should be good. Uh, a big game. Nashville at St. Louis. Uh, last time St. Louis took two out of two from them, the home and home. So I think Nashville's going to be a little hungry for that. Uh, my other game of the week, I'm going Tampa at Boston Thursday night, nationally televised. Hopefully it's good. And then for my lock of the week, I am going Thursday night as well. Philadelphia at Columbus. I feel like after Wayne Simmons is gone, Philly kind of has the wind blown out of their sails. I think Columbus is going to blow the doors off of them. From your lips to God's ears. Uh, moving into, <laughs> moving into uh, today in NHL history for uh, February 25th. Going all the way back to 1940, uh, the old chant that Ranger fans will be familiar with. Uh, the Rangers face the Montreal Canadiens at Madison Square Garden in the first hockey game that's ever televised in the United States. Uh, the game aired on station W2XBS in New York using one camera and can be viewed on only 300 television receivers in New York. The Rangers won 6-2. Uh, moving ahead a few decades, in 1993, your boy Cam Neely returned to the Bruins lineup after missing 106 games during two seasons because of a knee injury which is why he's not a legitimate Hall of Famer. Uh, Neely scores a power play goal, 451 into the game, but the Minnesota North Stars rally for a 3-3 tie at the Boston Garden. Yes, kiddies, there used to be a thing called ties. And lastly, in 2012, the king, our king, Henrik Lundqvist, becomes the first goalie in NHL history with at least 30 wins in each of his first seven seasons. Lundqvist gets his 30th win of 2011-12 for making 18 saves and a 3-2 win over the Buffalo Sabres at MSG. Uh, who do we have for uh, shout-outs this week? Uh, traditional, I'm going to give a shout-out to the First Lady. A uh, special shout-out because, uh, as I have mentioned, she started her styling career in fashion a couple months ago, and she's really starting to pick, pick up with that. Uh, her first styling shoot that she ever did has been published in an Italian magazine uh, and published online as well. Uh, so congratulations to her. I'm very proud of her. And lastly, I'm going to give a shout out to 
everyone's favorite non-listener, Bobo. My um, wish to you is the same as it is every week. I hope you walk into traffic. Uh, going into it, Big Kev was recruiting for us. We got a new listener, so big shout-out to Arno, uh, Town of Needham. What up? Uh, big shout-out, Joe Kinsigley. Uh, I missed that. Just missed that man. Just big handsome man. Um, also, shout-out to the doctor as to finally diagnosing me. You guys don't need to know what I have, but hopefully by next week I'm completely a new man. Um, I'm trying to think anything else. No, I got nothing. All right. That's all. But as always, ladies and gents, we appreciate you listening to us ramble going on and on. Uh, I think this is a huge episode for us. A lot of trade talk. Uh, you guys want to feedback, definitely hit the Facebook page, call us, text us. We're always ready. You know, we had to bring this one through the wire. It took a lot. We had to get through that trade deadline. We'll catch all you guys next week. Peace. Yo, Chief, they can't stop me from rapping, can they? Can they hop? I spit it through the wire, man. There's too much stuff on my heart right now, man. I gladly risk it all right now. It's a life or death situation, man. Y'all, y'all, y'all don't really understand how I feel right now, man. It's your boy Kanye Titter. Shot Town, what's going on? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I drink a 